to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner, gets up center. Perry, scoops. Corey Perry. William able to shake away from Solani. It's given away to Solani. I thought that was Imperial March for a second, but I also don't watch. No, it's it was trying to be the uh, the like Columbia TriStar movie music, where like the horse runs at the screen. Love it. Can we just start? I think it's Paramount. (laughs) Uh, We're we're back. Wait, 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 what's the date today? Almost one, uh, three, couple days short of a month from the last show. Last show was May twelfth. And I like how at the end of the last show, Stephen and I were like, yeah, we've got a lot of content coming for you guys. We've got a lot of episodes yeah. coming up. We're going to start recording a bunch of stuff. We've got draft previews coming. <laughs> and, we still uh, do. We do. Yeah, we do. We still have a month. We just so, have less time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we, we technically didn't fail you. Uh, we've got we've got time. But we're we're back, and Jason's joined us for today's show. He's back on, on the pod. Still no Pat, but uh, we're working on it, hopefully – Hopefully soon. Got some some things planned, as we always say. And, uh, <laughs> we got a lot of content with Pat coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> don't get him too. Don't get him too excited. Come on. We want him to stick around for the the, the next. Yeah, the next show. Days, but uh, we got some stuff. We've got, uh, of course, more John Gibson rumors. I don't know how many podcasts we haven't talked about John Gibson trade rumors. Probably <laughs> since the deadline. Uh, but we got some more stuff there. Uh, some more trade talk around the league because in that same article about John Gibson, there was some more trade targets that we can get into and look at uh, any of the guys that could be fits for for the Ducks. Uh, the Ducks made a signing, Pavel Regenda. Regenda? Nailed it. Regenda, yeah. Uh, 20, 22-year-old Slovakian Ford. We'll get into him a little bit. Uh, Steven, you put out a poll today on Pasternak, Fiala, Jeez. and so we'll uh, we'll discuss that one, and we'll get into that a little bit, and then we got some uh, some NHL talk. Bruce Cassidy fired, Barry Trotz fired, uh, a few other coaching positions open. We we'll go into that in a little bit more detail. We were talking about that briefly before the show here, so I got to re- try and remember the question that I'm saving for you guys, and uh, and then we'll talk playoffs. The nice. uh, light, Lightning, what they won tonight, right? Three one. Yeah. Yep. Three one. Right three at two, the end there. Three two lead. Uh, to winner faces Colorado in the Stanley Cup Finals. Who are you hoping for? Who you guys want? Tampa for sure. <sighs> Tampa, you guys, you okay with the three peat if it happens? Hundred percent. Perry's on the team. What do I care? Yeah, that's the only that's the only way I'm okay with it is because Perry's on the team. Other than that, like I just I hated seeing I hate seeing any team win it back to back, let alone three times. Repeat. I think it's so rare and special. So. Yeah, it is. And especially this will be the first one without an asterisk. So, I hate I them a lot less than the other teams who've gotten close. Pittsburgh, that was what I was Chicago, say, like, LA, right? Like, yeah. I do think the big, like, aside from Perry, the other thing is, is I feel like they don't get credit for winning the last two as much as they should. And if they win this one, then it's like, dude, they did it three years in a row. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, regardless yeah. of the asterisks you want to put on it for COVID or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I, they still yeah, I'm, I'm fine with it because I'd ra- I'd like to see Perry win it. That would be cool. It'd also be fun to see Maroon win four in a row with 
two different teams. But mm-hmm. then at the same time, I feel like Colorado's due, and the changing of the guard is due. And I like to see Cogliano win a Stanley Cup. Josh Manson, me. Uh, I feel like that that team and with McKinnon and all that, I'd really like to see that. It's been been a while, and he's they've had their heartache, so it feels like they're kind of in that mode. Yeah, um, they feel like the next coming could, team, right? Um, every time we saw one of the dynasties die, there was another team who kind of took over, and yeah. Colorado feels like the team that's right on the the cusp of doing that. And maybe the cap the cap space the cap issues for Tampa might eventually catch up to them. So this this is probably. If they win this year, I think the chances of, of four are are going to be difficult next year. Unless, like, Stamkos or Kucherov gets an off-season injury that keeps them out for the entire year and they can they can load up on some of these guys. It, it's uh, it's going to be tough. But, yeah, I, I would I personally, if I had to pick somebody, would probably pick Colorado. I'd like to see it. I, I feel like they've been right there over the last couple of years. And if, if any team has looked dominant throughout the entire playoffs so far it's been them they've, they've had a easier ride i guess mm-hmm. with, with nashville and then mike smith handing them a few games in, in edmonton uh, but the st louis series was fun and i don't know they 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 seem like they've they've done things the right way which is tampa has too right it it's it's not like it's, they've they built it in in a way that you can look at and say uh, that's kind of shady other than the, the cap issues, which I know people like to yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think if, if you're looking for pure entertainment, Colorado versus Tampa is probably the best you can get. Yeah, it's the best outcome, and I don't think there's a loser there. Like, if Colorado wins, I'm not going to be upset, right? It'll be cool to see Nathan McKinnon get it. I've loved Gabriel Landeskog, like, his entire career. Like, um, like uh, you know, Cogliano, Josh Manson. Like, it'll all be great. McCoy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. There's tons of reasons to be happy, but like at the same time, like like Jay said, four in a row from a room. Perry finally get it his second one. Like, because that would be even sadder if Perry loses it three years. Yeah, so does he go to Colorado next year teams. if he loses? Yeah, right. He has his Marion Hosa just continue. Yeah, to exactly. Understand. But um, it, it would be really cool. It would be really really cool to see and. Uh, I would be fine with either team because I think both teams play a fun, heavy hockey. Mm-hmm. I think they play with the kind of speed and skill that a lot of like newer or like more progressive fans want. But like they got some boys on those teams that can like still make you feel it. You know what I mean? Like they can play like Nazem Kadri isn't, you know, he's not a pushover. Like he's going to be out for back. the rest of whatever. I think he's out for, for good. They they were. I read an article today. I don't know how far back it was, but they said they're hopeful that he would be back for a potential Stanley Cup final game. I don't know when, but he broke his broke his finger. So that, well, that's I don't tough. Think, to I was gonna. Didn't isn't it like right here in the palm of his hand? Because like yeah. he can't turn it. It's gonna be one of those things where he comes back at like seventy five percent, and they just ice the shit out of it and hope that he can play a little yeah. bit. They, He's going to do the Stamkos thing, where they're going to pray they can get one shift out of him in a game. He can make something <laughs> special happen, and they're like, "Dude, just go in the back. You don't. We, you yeah. put up the yeah. greatest career, he, he or greatest it. Year career. <laughs> like you got us here. Like just go yeah. fucking sit in the back. Yeah, no, no, no shots. Just a lot of passes. Yeah. <laughs> get get open and and find somebody who's open at the back post. Drive the net. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> go out there and just draw people penalties. People do do it. Uh, 
do what you do best. So, although he has been good offensively, I don't want to get him. I like Kadri. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> He's pretty um, awesome. All right, we'll, we'll we'll get to that. We'll get to that. We got to break down the playoff stuff later, but we got to get to some Ducks news. There's not much, but the uh, the the main thing is John Gibson. His name keeps jumping up in the trade rumors again. We've been talking about it since the deadline. I, I we finally found out where those rumors came from, right? We, Stephen, you and I did. Um, did we do a live draft show, a trade mm-hmm. deadline show? We did, right? Yeah. And we found out that uh, I don't know who reported it that day. So I think it was the fourth period or somebody, but that John Gibson's early, like the first news we saw on trade deadline day is like keep an eye out on John Gibson. His name's out there. Well, it turns out it was uh, Pat Verbeek who floated the name out there, which is interesting. So Frank Cervelli, in his Trade Targets article, put John Gibson at number seven. And uh, brief mention in there, he said, uh, Quietly, Gibson's name circulated among GMs in the days leading up to the March 21st trade deadline. Floated by new Ducks manager Pat Verbeek is a lifeline to any teams in need of a netminder. It's a bit interesting uh, mm-hmm. that it was brought up from the Ducks rather than other teams calling Anaheim and, and looking for a netminder. Uh, I'm sure there was probably some of that, but... Uh, well, we know Buffalo called early in the year. Yeah, Buffalo's called for like down. the last four years. And Mary, Mary also, shut them down a couple times, too. I, yeah. I don't think it's... Let me say this. It's nice to know where the rumors were coming from, right? If it was someone asking about him or what happened with Verbeek. But I also think it makes a lot of sense, especially... You know, with him coming in right at the deadline, being like, look, I have this guy who, like, theoretically should be one of the six or seven best goaltenders in the league. Yeah, It's weird everything here. Like, I'm already preparing to trade all these guys that I know I'm going to trade and, you know, get down. Like, it's worth looking at what I can get for this guy and seeing if it makes it worth it since I, you know, Abdostel, he traded for Callie Lang. Like, um, I think... I think it makes a lot of sense and just kind of doesn't judge the market, right? Like he's not, he doesn't have two, three years of experience where guys are calling him asking about stuff and he's got a rough ballpark. You know, he's been in Detroit where it's, you know, been a little different. He wasn't the guys getting the calls. So, How, how confident are you that he, that he gets traded? I know we were fairly confident on the last couple of podcasts. None of this is new news. So, Cervelli putting him at seven is basically based on that, that he was floated around at the deadline. The Ducks aren't good. He's got three bad seasons and three good seasons under his belt in the last six years, so he's right on that cusp like we've talked about. It feels like if he ever gets traded, it's probably this offseason. He gets either traded now or he sticks around in Anaheim and, and they are forced to trade him for less later on. Are you still as confident as you were when we talked about it on the last one? And and then Jay, how do you how do you feel about it? Do you think he gets traded this offseason? Um, you know, just because it's Verbeek, and I don't really know much of his style yet, other than he, you know, he said what he was going to do, and so he obviously has it in his mind of the direction he wants to take the team. The good news is is that we have you know, the pipeline behind Gibson. So it's moving him is not as detrimental as it might've been earlier or, you know, in seasons past because Stolars uh, can easily take over a number one spot on this team. And I think at some point, Dostal's going to have to come in and start doing a backup job. And unless Stolzar, you know, 
is all of a sudden just better than Dostal. Dostal eventually takes over from there, and then you got the guys behind him. So we we have a lot of commodities and a lot of value at that one position that a lot of teams kind of covet. So um, especially teams the way they are now, they seem to just be shaking up things at complete random. Um, so maybe I think the best time to pick up a goalie if you were looking for one is an offseason. It's not at the trade deadline because generally you're probably fairly solid in goal or you're going to take your chances to improve your team somewhere else that doesn't isn't so, you know, one person makes or break that whole that whole yeah. deal, that whole mm-hmm. playoff run. So, um, I mean, it's a possibility, but I could also see them just hanging on to him. It's not like he's... He's got a what ten team no trade clause, so it's not like he's going to go to your Arizonas, your Ottawa, somewhere where you'd have a lot of great picks out of it. Maybe some prospects somewhere, but it's just also if there's a right fit for what he's worth. Yeah, there's always only a handful of teams that I think will be interested in John Gibson. Not in that he's not a capable player, just. A lot of teams already have their goaltending situation figured out for the long term, right? It, it, yeah. There's there's a fair amount of teams that he's not going to go to right off the bat because of that. And the fact that he then can eliminate ten, 10 teams makes that difficult, right? Because is a team like New Jersey not on his list? Or is he, is the, are they a team he's not willing to go to because of the situation they're in right now? They're... they're along the same path, I guess you could say, as the Ducks. They're in a tough div- division in the Metro. They are on the up, but they're not quite there yet, right? Is is he only willing to go to a team that he knows he's going to make the playoffs? In? And that that's what makes it tough because I, I think there you know, are a few teams, and, and we've looked at them before. I think uh, if Vegas moves on from Laner, they could be one, but then you have to make that deal within division. I think the Oilers, with the whole Mike Smith situation, could look um, at John Gibson. But again, you're making that trade in division, uh, which is maybe not something you want to do. Uh, we've talked Toronto in the past. It looks like Jack Campbell's not going to go back there, so they're definitely not going to roll into next year with Peter Mrazek as their number one. And um, that seems to be the most likely and most talked about trade destination, but I think there's a few others on there as well. But the, I think the key thing for the Ducks with John Gibson this year is the amount of cap space that they have allows them to get creative with this deal where you can go to a team and maybe you can sneak a little bit more out of them and you can go to a team that maybe wouldn't be able to fit as cap space normally, but you take on a really bad contract to make it work. So I think it was Stephen, you had brought this up as one of those out there scenarios with Florida in uh, in Bobrovsky coming back mm-hmm. or something like that, and in a team, and not to say you know that's that's definitely out there in the suggestion, but the Ducks having the flexibility to take on a massive contract like that to get John Gibson to a team that normally it would it'd be impossible for them to go out and get him, and they get out from under that Bobrovsky contract. I I don't know if I would want that Bobrovsky contract in Anaheim for the what is the next seven years or something, but. Uh, I think it's got like five more, yeah. Because he yeah. signed for seven years at I know, like nine, nine million or no, ten million. Fly. I think he got a seven year, seventy million. Yeah, it's insane. It's unreal. But like they're they're in that situation. Like they have thirty nine million dollars in cap space going into the off season. Um, so you you, know. do, you can go to those teams that are up against the cap, like Toronto, and take on a bunch of salary to make it work. I, I think they do have some flexibility where it kind of makes it the right time if you're gonna do it to go out and move them. Yeah, and like I said when I brought it, like when we talked about the Bobrovsky thing, the the point I was making is, is like, 
would you eat that to get Lindell in the door? Yeah. Because that's the quality of prospect that you have to get to make that pill. Like there has to be a lot of sugar to make that swallow. Like it is insane to me. Um, but like if, if it's Lundell, if, you know, if it's Lundell and Bobrovsky and you're sending, you know, Gibby the other way, like shot. Yeah. Okay, fine. Like we'll figure out what the rest of the deal is. Cause Lundell, you know, like, like I don't think Lundell on his own is enough to give up Gibby and take back Bobrovsky. Uh, but like, I think that at the big, regardless of how it gets built, that's the foundation you're fine with. Um, as, as far as Gibson trade, like, it kind of brings me to something that I've been thinking about. Like, I feel like I'm kind of going crazy because I feel like you two specifically, the last time we were all on, made mention to me that you think there's some possibility. And then I feel like a lot of things on Twitter right now, we've been seeing a lot of people talk about how um, optimistic they think Anaheim can be this summer with some of the names that they can go get. And we'll get to that, you know, the poll and stuff. But, like, if you bring some of those guys in, you can't give up John Gibson. Yeah. So that I, I think that, to me, is kind of the thing. Is uh, It depends, I think, who you bring in. I would be – I would feel much more confident saying John Gibson gets traded this summer if I didn't feel like so many other people who I don't think are stupid, like who are smart people, like yeah. they just seem to think that there's something – that could be, and maybe that's you know a move that you make for two years from now, right? It's the kind of thing where you get a guy on like the last year of his ELC or something. But I just, if you're going to go out and get like a Fiala or a Forsberg or you know you shit make a run at Nazem Kadri, it's a ridiculous idea. But I'm just saying you have to keep John Gibson. And so the fact that I feel a little on an island, I guess, as far as like how how exciting i expect this summer to be in the short term um you know makes it hard for me to be much more confident there but like i would still say i'm you know 75 80 percent sure he's gonna get traded yeah i i think you can still go out and make a move like that just depends on and, and still get rid of john gibson like both can happen i think it depends on who you bring in like we've talked about like forsberg pasternak like when you're getting guys around 27 28 i think then it makes it impossible to bring in a guy like that and move out John Gibson. I think if you're bringing in, you know, Fiala's 25, uh, if you're, you know, we've talked the Kachuk stuff to death and there, there's no mm-hmm. substantial evidence behind that, but if you are to bring in a guy like Kachuk, I think you can still bring in a guy like that and move John Gibson. I don't necessarily think those two can exist. I think it just depends on the age and the type of player that you're bringing in because the younger guys like that can still fit in your time frame where you can wait a little bit. Maybe you bring in a, a 1B to play with Stolarz, and you give Dossel some time uh, to get there at that point, and you get something good in return for John Gibson. You know, move him to New Jersey and get the second overall pick, or you move him to Toronto and and you bring in some you know younger players, or God forbid, you go out and get a William Nylander or something like that, where you know you add in a different position and you wait for some of your prospects to come up. I just think with a lot of the moves the Ducks have done, it it and then the fact now that we've it's Verbeek who floated the name around at the deadline. Um, it it, it kind of points to John Gibson's time coming to an end and the fact that he'd be a little bit more willing to go out the door now 
with three tough seasons behind him and, and you know him getting a little bit closer to 30 now. So, yeah, I, I, I but I completely agree. Like, it is a situation where you, you, in some cases, you can't have both. Like, if you're bringing in a Pasternak, you would want John Gibson to be there to get the best years out of him and still be a competitive team. So you you got to get creative with it to make both work. And um, Yeah, like, I was looking at it right now because, like, I was trying to think, like, could you do both at the same time? And, like, you know, because if you bring back a Mrazic or if you bring back, like, a Cam Talbot, you're not bringing back a world beater, but you're bringing back a guy that you know can eat 35, 40 games in a regular season. Like, he can just eat 40 starts and you're fine. You know, wow. is that enough? Like, is Cam Talbot and Kevin Fiala enough to be, like, or is Cam Talbot good enough to be, like, we can bring Cam, Kevin Fiala in now. Cam Talbot's only got one year. We got Stolars. We got Dostal. You know what I mean? I don't know. Maybe it is. I just don't understand why move Gibson. I feel like if you move Gibson, it's to open up that that tunnel of talent that you have. Stalzar deserves that chance to be a number one and prove it, whether he's going to be with us for the long term or not, probably not. But at least let him get out there, prove it, and then build up his asset because the real name of the game here is Dostal. We're just waiting for that. You don't necessarily ne- necessarily need to run him into backup this upcoming season. Let him still be a starter, get one more year there. Then he's been there plenty of time, and he's probably done all he's going to do or learn all he's going to learn from that position. Then move him into the backup role. You have your Stolzar or someone else. I just I don't understand getting rid of Gibson, bringing back a goalie, plus well, some other people. Because you still need two goalies. That's my thing. I, Cam Talbot, Cam Talbot isn't going to depending be on your next starter. Season as well. Yeah, like if you bring back Morazic or you bring back Talbot, that's to back up Stolarz. The question is, is what if Stolarz isn't ready, or what if he's not as good as we think he is? You you need somebody is. there because you don't want to. Now all of a sudden you're scrambling and you don't have anything. That's how you end up with you know. Jason LaBarbera getting like six starts in March or some yeah. shit. I, I you know, I think that's the thing for me is it's not to bring in a guy to be the starter. It's bringing in a capable journeyman who can eat starts if things go left with Stolars, I, which could I, be an injury or whatever. I think Verbeek was more or less probably just going like, hey, throwing it out there. Anyone yeah. want to take the big bite at this and, and make me just a whole lot better by taking him at the last minute? And, you know, what I think he wants to do is not necessarily go and shop him all the time. He wants to – he was maybe taking a stab at it. And now it's almost like, well, unless you blow my socks off, I got no problem keeping him because it really doesn't matter. Because if I bring someone back, it's only for a season. And maybe I revisit this at the trade deadline next year, you know, coming up on that next trade deadline. And then same thing, someone maybe overpays for it, or they got a goalie who's injured late in the season and before the trade deadline and Gibson's available. So, you know, maybe that's it. Maybe he's trying to get it, but I think he, he was trying to get those assets. And, but now I think he's going to, He's a buyer. I mean, I think he's just going to either try and make trades happen, um, not necessarily involving Gibson, but a lot of the the draft picks and, and um, prospects that we have. And I'll throw in a couple of free agent signings in there as well. And this team can get better, but I don't even know if he really wants to get better this next season, if he wants to kind of just let everything hang out and, you know, mm-hmm. see where we get in the, the next draft and then go from there. I think every everything he said – and the signs point towards sticking with the rebuild for now. Um, 
I respect what everybody's saying, and I can see it, and it makes sense for the Ducks to go out and add. They're going to have to add players because they need to add anywhere from 15 to 10 million to get to the floor. Uh, even with that's with signing the the RFAs that they have, um, and three of them are eligible for arbitration. So you know, who knows how that's going to go? I, I think for Sam Steele, there's not much of a case to make, but for Lindstrom and, and Milano, um, you know, if they go to arbitration, I think the Ducks would like to avoid that. So, but either way, they're going to have at least around 10 million to get to the floor. So they're going to have to sign guys. But the problem is, like, I, I think you can do that without sacrificing the rebuild. You know, or you can go out and acquire bad contracts. You can go to Montreal and take Weber's contract and go to another team and take on a bad contract. We saw him try and do that with Dadanov at the deadline, and that deal fell apart. You don't necessarily have to go out and get, you know, a Forsberg to to add or to, to eat up that cap space. You can mm-hmm. bring, you can get assets, younger assets, picks, prospects by taking on a bad contract to get to that floor and and still kind of continue in that process. The the, the thing for me with John Gibson. I'm, why it kind of feels like the writing's on the wall again is is they're at that kind of threshold point where the last three seasons haven't been great, but he had three really good seasons before that, and now you're you're getting into this tipping point where this is now like the make or break season. Is he gonna have a really good season? Gonna have a really bad season? Because whatever season he has this year, he's now had more of either good seasons or bad seasons in the last seven years, and I think it gets tougher the longer you wait to move him. I don't think he's a deadline day move. I think it's too hard to get what you want for him and to move him with his cap hit and, and the term he has at the deadline. I think it, it, it's a better prime to deal for this offseason. And and I think with the assets that are out there for teams that are looking for a goaltender, as long as John Gibson is willing to go there, um, I think there are some interesting assets for the Ducks to go out and look at. We've talked Kevin Fiala. We've talked potentially William Nylander. Um, you know, who knows what the Devils situation are if, if John Gibson wants to move a little bit closer to home. Um, you know, they're, they're a team that's definitely on the up and they're shopping that number two overall pick. Uh, a very good way to accelerate the rebuild is to move a guy like John Gibson out the door and bring in that second overall pick and have number two, number 10, and number 22 potentially if you don't have to move an, another pick out back in that door. I'd imagine the Ducks would have to add to that to get the second overall pick. But there are ways I think you can continue this rebuild and really the only big piece they have left that you can move out the door is, is John Gibson, right? Like they're not going to move Fowler uh, and there's really no other major piece now left that is going to fetch you anything. Henrik could get you something, but it's not going to get you a lot. Silverberg's not going to get you anything at this point. Silverberg's going to retire, Doc. There's, there's yeah. nothing. Unless he suddenly like recovers as far as like his, his athleticism and his health. Like I just think he's gonna be, he's gonna end his career as a Ducks. Like, or at least see out that contract. And, yeah, and, that's and you know he's earned it. I think I love Jacob Silverberg. I'll defend that dude all day. I thought he was a perfect player for us. Um, you know, so as far as I'm concerned, like I think that he's earned the right to just play that contract out. I think I think if anything, if this John Gibson trade is gonna happen, it's gonna happen at the draft. Or shortly after it, I, I can't imagine they go into you know a couple weeks into free agency and make the trade then. It, it's one that happens within the next month, month and a half, or it doesn't happen and, and he's a duck for the next season. Like this is not a mid July, August type deal. I, I just can't I can't see that happening. Um, the draft seems the most likely situation, but 
we'll have to see. I mean, it, it's going to be eventful. Everybody, this is what pretty much everybody's talking about right now is how exciting this offseason is going to be, how it has the potential to be a big offseason for the Ducks. Um, but we, we've been in that position before uh, with Bob Murray, so it is a bit different, where we expect big things and then nothing happens. Um, but the, the, the thing we at least know, again, is the fact that they, are so, they have so much cap space they have a lot of weapons to go out and do things. At the very least, they're going to have to make some moves to hit the cap floor. So we're going to see something happen. Uh, it might be just a, a couple you know, uh, you know, cap dumps from other teams or some uh, some you know, veteran UFA forwards that they bring in to hit the floor. But at least uh, at the very least, something's going to happen. So we'll we'll see. We've got time. Yeah, it'd be interesting uh, to see what uh, people would consider like a good off season for the Ducks. Mm-hmm. Like, like yeah. what what would be your like minimum or like do, do you need a big name? If there's not a big name, a bunch of small names, it's just like oh good, another off season yeah. where we're expecting and got a little less than anything. Well, shit then, let's just do that. Like, Jay, what is a good off season to you? Trading Vasilevsky. I think that's that's a really <laughs> swap swap teams really with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Right? Get them out of cap hell. <laughs> we'll take your nine million dollar goalie. <laughs> Not a problem. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it, I don't know. The Ducks are in such a unique spot that they haven't really been in in the fact that they got really emerging elite talent. Um, and really, we are now going to have the core that we've had for so long gone, the uh, face of the franchise gone. Um, you know, it seems like turmoil with, with Gibby doesn't seem too happy to be playing here. So now that goal is gone. And then it's like, all right, well, crap, where are we going? <laughs> you know, what, what, what parts are we looking at? You can only go by with what Verbeek has been saying, and that's, you know, faster, bigger, stronger. I guess that's what everyone wants, but... How do you go about getting it? Um, or the $6 million key, man. <laughs> <laughs> my key is I want to see who's going to get on defense because there's no way we can roll the six defensemen we have and hope to have any success. And I think Chad Kirk's he's he's a trade di- uh, trade uh, deadline move. So, mm-hmm. I mean, at this point, we're the, the only names I'm super familiar with right now are Shattenkirk, Fowler, and uh, Drysdale. So, you know, other than that, not that those guys, Mahura, um, could be fine, but I mean that's just that's god awful, especially if you move out Shattenkirk. So I feel like you're gonna need to get somebody back there on defense, if not two, mm-hmm. uh, moving forward. So what about you, Ed? Yeah, I, I, for me it's it's um, a mix of a couple things. I, I think trading John Gibson for me this this just feels like the right time to get it done. I, I feel like it's a relationship that's kind of gone past the wayside at this point. I think you can still get a a decent return for him at this point. Uh, and, and then it's just being in the mix for some of these younger players that could be available. The Kevin Fialas, you know, getting him potentially in a trade, uh, a, a little bit of a, a friendlier deal in the sense that you're trading for his rights. So that could be something that you don't have to give up as much. We've talked Matthew Kachuk potentially being around that. If the opportunity presents itself, Alex Debrinkit, who seems to be available now, I don't know why the Blackhawks are looking to move him, but I don't know. Yeah, we got him. I call that a win. Like, yeah, that up. <laughs> or at least just being being involved in those conversations. I know it's hard to judge that because we're not really going to hear too much about you know whether the Ducks are how involved they are or not. But a successful offseason for me would be just 
either getting one of those guys or just being involved in those conversations and and looking to make the team better if it makes sense to pull the move off. We've heard that from Verbeek already. Like he can make this team if he can make this team better and it makes sense, they're gonna do it. And mm-hmm. you know, Jacob Chikrin again potentially being in that. I'd rather some of the fours we've already discussed, like a Debrinkit or a Fiala or something like that. Uh, but yeah, it would be trading John Gibson, getting some assets in return. Um, you know, my favorite would be getting the second overall pick from New Jersey and having two top ten picks, and then to either use some of those picks to go out and get one of those guys, um, or just end up drafting two really good young players in the top ten here and continuing with the rebuild. So I'm more on that side of things. And draft some picks, draft some picks, yeah, draft some picks, or prospects, and and just <laughs> continuing right continuing with the rebuild because I I can't. I, I can't see them being a top destination where they can add a bunch of these guys this offseason. You know, out of Forsberg, go out and add another, you know, good right shot defenseman like Klingberg or something like that. And still, you know, being a competitive team with just those two additions next year and being better than Colorado or being better than, you know, St. Louis or some of the top teams in the Western Conference. Like, I don't think they're at that point yet. I think it would be a little bit premature to go out and do that. It's why I don't like that the Kings did it. A lot of people are, are are giving the Kings praise for going out and doing that. I feel like they jumped the gun with that. I really do with some of the signings that they made. I don't think that's going to pan out long term. That They're banking on a lot of these young guys panning out and panning out over the next couple of years and trying to capitalize on the, on the tail end of Kopitar and Doughty. I don't think it's going to work out for them. I don't think they are going to be better than some of the top teams in the Western Conference, that they're going to make a legitimate run at the Stanley Cup, and they're going to get to a point where Kopitar and Doughty are past their prime, and they've got Deneau at like 33, 34 years old, and Arvidsson and all these other guys, and they're going to have to kind of reset and go, not into a a rebuild, but move out some of these guys and start retooling a bit. So I I don't want the Ducks to do that. I don't think they're ready for that. I I don't want them to be in that same situation that the Kings are and just trying to make the playoffs for the sake of making the playoffs and then losing in the first or second round to a team that's done it properly and built it up the right way. Are you talking about Edmonton? Yeah, yeah, team that's built it up probably. No. They lost to everything. Yeah, it took them a long time to get that one right. Yeah, <laughs> they had a they had a draft. Draft. So Jesus. I didn't like the Dino deal or the Arvidsson trade, really for the same reasons that you didn't. But like seeing the way it worked out, this I actually become a big fan of it. And I think the thing to remember is Kopitar's deals up in two years. He doesn't have one of those long-ass contracts like Dowdy does, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think right around the time that his contract's up, like they're going to know what Byfield is. Yeah, and like, but you're going to have to hope that he that is that, right? That's right, but, the problem. But I don't think it's co- – here's the thing, right? They didn't they, – it didn't cost them anything to find out other than they spent a little – they spent, what, $10 million in top six forwards to – try to get the most out of the end of Kopitar being really good. Like, I, I don't I don't know that I can disagree with that. I, my, I my thing is, how many years does that cost you, right? How many years does that I, cost I, you in potentially getting another... It's going to take a couple of years anyway, so why not? Getting a couple more top picks this year to chase the right. playoffs, make it to the first round and lose, to just try and do something with the tail end of Kopitar. Because when Kopitar is gone, this team is not good. When Doughty is right, gone, but... this team is not good. 
if Byfield is the guy he can be, that's my thing, right? Like, basically what they've done is they've said, we're pretty confident that we can make Byfield a legitimate number one center. We can help him develop into that, use his tools. And if he does that, right around the time Kopitar is done, he'll be in that, what, 20, 20 years old, 21-year-old range? And it'll be his turn to really step in. And what you'll see is something similar-esque, I guess, to, you could say, like, the Shifley-Wheeler thing, or you could look at it as the Stamkos point thing. You know what I mean? Where, like, Stamkos is still there, and, like, he's still the captain, it's still his team, but, like, Braden Point has kind of become a number one center. And, you know, they. I just, I think the Kings had enough equity in quality prospects that the risk overall was relatively low to try to make another run with two guys who are probably going to get their numbers retired about 10 minutes after they retire. The other thing is getting all those high draft picks and then, you know, all of a sudden it sounds like you want a team that's full of 25 or younger that are making that push. Then it's there. But the problem is, is when they all start doing well, and they're all really talented. You end up can't keeping those guys for very long. You got to pick and choose anyways. So you're always going to have to have that mixture of veterans yeah. and younger guys and you know if if you are a team that is gonna suck completely then fine get your high draft picks but do it for a season or two don't don't extend that longer than it needs to and i would say you know adding in these pieces that at least gives them you know other you know i hate to say you know players to look up to but to learn how to play how to be professional how to win how to have the right attitude that sort of deal helps those young players progress better and then as they go off to the wayside and that core gets better you add other pieces that are a little bit closer to that age and that window that you have yeah right i, I don't think it's the worst deal ever bringing in duno and arvidson and some of the guys they brought in like it it it's not the worst deal ever by by any means for me personally if I would have rather waited the couple of years to see what you have in Byfield before making that decision and bringing mm-hmm. in those guys and locking yourself into a five-year contract. I don't think Deneau is going to be awful in four or five years. I just think you jumped the gun a little bit to just mm-hmm. make the playoffs. I, I, We were all surprised that the Kings finished where they were, right? No, I don't think a lot of people had them making the playoffs. They were kind of an outside chance, and they made it. But... Most people expected them to be one of the teams that missed it, and there's a few teams like Vegas who choked, and the Kings got into a playoff spot because of it. I just felt like it was a couple years premature to go out and make some of those signings, and you're not so much doing it to nurture the young kids and wait for them or whatever. You're doing it because you've got Kopitar, you've got Doughty, you've got Brown. You're, you're trying, you know, you got Quick. So let's see if we can get something out of this last couple of years that's not, you know, bottom five in the league, right? Like not tanking. Let's let. And I think making the playoffs was a success for them. I think if they made it, making the playoffs was a success for them. They'd rather make the playoffs this year and have that optics of making the playoffs versus finishing, you know, bottom five and getting a top five pick. I I I know you. Like I definitely agree with you. I don't think you can have a team full of young twenty five year old top prospects and and win a cup you can't i don't think it's a bad situation to have if they all hit and you have to move some of those guys out to bring in some of those veterans in i would rather be in that situation that hey all these guys panned out that's great we can't afford to keep all of them move some guys out bring in some veteran players build your roster that way when you're when it's time for that when you know the next step beyond having these young players 
is okay, we can compete. You know, Byfield's going to carry us. He's our next, you know, Kopitar. Turcotte's going to come in and be a really good second-line center. Kaliev is going to be our 30-goal scorer. Brant Clark's going to come in and be our new Dowdy. Like, a couple years down the road when you know what you mm. have, right? Because we're, we're waiting. We're, we're waiting to see. Is Byfield... I think Byfield's going to be a great player, but you don't know yet. I think Brant Clark's going to be a great player. You don't know yet. It's not a bad thing to get another top five, top ten pick, bring in another guy to have another shot at it in case these guys pan out. Just look at Alex Turcotte. I would say right now it's not looking great for him, the way right. things have gone. He was a third overall pick. To get more of those and have some no, more shots on it. he went six. Did he? I thought he was third. No, he went like six. Well, if any of you are just joining us, this is a Kings podcast, and we really want to thank you. But, yeah, I do, my, my whole point is I don't want the Ducks to, to, to jump the gun here and go after, you know, a Forsberg or somebody like that yeah, and and just to make the playoffs because I don't think even with, like, a Forsberg and another right-shot defenseman and a few other, you know, kind of middle six UFAs that they are a team that's good enough to compete with the top teams in this league. I don't think they're there yet. Um, I think in a couple years they could be, but we would need to wait, just like the Kings need to wait to see what Byfield is. We need to wait to see what McTavish is. We need to wait to see what Zellweger is. We need at least another season for, for Zegris to develop. Terry to have another, you know, not just the one breakout season to prove that this is consistent from him. That's what I, I would want to see. I want to see these guys play. I want to see these guys play big minutes. I don't want to see them shove down the lineup to bring in another guy to try and compete just yet. In two or three years, fine. Go out, get some guys, trade some of the young guys if you want to bring in those pieces. When you know what you have and you know that these young guys are going to be the main core piece of your roster. And that's what you see. You know, the main core pieces. These teams waited. Colorado's main core pieces. Rantanen, McKinnon, Landiscog, McCarr. Then they bring in everybody else. They bring in Kadri. They bring in Burakovsky. They bring in Devin Taves with the prospects and picks that they don't need anymore because they've got that core, that they know that those guys are going to lead the team. Tampa's got Point and Stamkos and Kucherov and Vasilevsky and Hedman, their core that they drafted, brought through, waited to see what they were. Then they brought in the, you know everybody else through trades or whatever to the team when they knew they were ready to make that next step and they had those guys to build around. That's what I want to wait to, to see. To, we get to that point. Wait till Zegris and McTavish and Zellweger and Drysdale and Dostal or whoever are the core of this team, then we can go out and move whoever and add guys in and, and fill the rest of the roster and start signing UFAs to really take that next step forward. I don't want to go another season of unwatchable hockey. Nobody does, but you might have to. It. it might be the best thing for the Ducks in the, in the long run. Yeah. Turcotte was drafted fifth, by the way. So, so you're both you, wrong. Yeah, yeah you were closer. <laughs> Either way, it's not working out for him. It's not looking yeah. great that it's a fifth round pick. So, yeah, he got called out by Mark Lazarus too, which is very funny. Did he? For what? Yeah. Just for not being good? <laughs> well, just for so far not developing. But he also called out Kirby Dak too, so it's not like he's being an asshole. He was just talking about like, you know, with all the love that Edmonton and Colorado are getting for like kind of tanking and having their high end prospects. He's like, there's also the part where you have to like make sure you pick those guys. And, like, there's really no reason Kale McCarr should have dropped to them, but he did, right? Yeah. Which means people passed on him and made the wrong decision uh, and that kind of stuff. And he was like, look, Turcotte could still be good, but it hasn't been great so far. And after him was Caulfield, and after him was Zegris, and after him was 
you know, Boldy or whatever. Like, same thing with Kirby Dak. Like, he's been fine for what, you know, for his age and stuff like that, but he hasn't necessarily been the guy that they thought they were drafting, yeah. which is why they're in a position to say things that are out loud that are stupid. Like, we'll trade Alex to bring it. Well, uh, speaking of Alex Dabrinkit, you had a poll today. with uh, You're looking at three different players, David Pasternak, Kevin Fiala, Alex Dabrinkit, right? Yeah. And their viability for the Ducks, who who uh, our fans would rather have, what they would not be willing to give up, what piece they would really not be willing to give up. I think it was this year's first, next year's first, top one protected, Mason McTavish and Olin Zellweger, right, were the four mm-hmm. pieces you put up. I think yeah. Mason McTavish won by a landslide, right? Of of who Oh to protect <laughs> who, yeah. Who people were not willing to give up among it's those four assets. Very but, uh, funny. What was the, the winner? Was it Pasternak for the overwhelmingly, yeah. Uh, overwhelmingly yeah. people wanted Pasternak. Uh so so far, yeah, Fiala at fourteen, Pasternak at forty two. Oh no. Debrinket at forty four now. Oh. So Debrinket. So have go with yeah, Which player do you think will be the most impactful over the next five years? Pasternak, 61, to break it 33, Fiala, 6. And then the, uh, the uh, guessing the players based on our 8 p.m. chart. Oh, uh, yeah, don't trade Mason McTavish. Do trade the 10th pick. Yeah, that's where we're at. So there's still a few more hours left on this, I think. Like, probably, I don't know. I got this up at... Okay, so, yeah, there's, like, literally 12 more hours. 9.38 this morning. Uh, but yeah, it was just kind of, uh, you know, because Pasternak's name has been out there as far as, you know, Boston's hand maybe forced. Like Cassidy just threw everything for a loop. Nobody knows what to think now. And <laughs> given that it, it, it seems to show a level of, un, uh, of instability and given the fact that, you know, Pasternak's two best friends, apparently, Krejci and Tori Krug, were not necessarily treated with all the respect in the world on the way out the door, in his opinion. Um, you know, the idea that Pasternak might resign. Uh, is decreasing, right? Yeah. Like, it, in theory, it could be harder to convince him to stay. Uh, Alex Dabrinkit, obviously, we heard, you know, he came up at Sarah Bali's, uh trade thing today. We've heard his name even back all the way at the deadline as, like, Dabrinkit's name is out there. It doesn't make sense, but kind of it is. Uh, and then, you know, Kevin Fiala is a, a player that I think had a wonderful year, and a lot of people uh, look at his age and, and what he could maybe be and his ability to kind of drive... Uh, a second line away from Terry or, or away from Zegers or play with Zegers, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and be a special player. So um, that's kind of why it ended up with those three. And then it got, I was able to figure out what people felt about like draft assets, like trade assets and stuff, because I'm always super fascinated by like what people do or don't want to give away, you know? And I, I was pretty impressed uh, or not impressed, but like happy to see yeah. everybody was like, no, keep McTavish. Because I've told you this, dude, I'm losing my mind over this kid. Like, uh, I, it's obnoxious. Like, I think he has a chance to be a really, really special player. And um, the idea of passing on that really kind of hurts, um, you yeah. know, to get something that maybe isn't the most, I don't know, sustainable conceptually. Boston's going to it's going to be for King's ransom. So there's, I just don't see any way that you're going to be able to swing that without giving up everything prospect and traffic wise. I agree. The break a little bit easier because they got a lot of, uh, openings that they need to fill. And, uh, that's what she said. But 
that they are looking to become a better team anyways in the short term where it looks like Boston's looking to get into that rebuild rebuild run. So it's, you know, they're kind of going opposite ways. Yeah, where, like, I think I think Chicago is more likely to to take any of, you know, whether it's young players that are on the cusp, guys like Perot, to take draft picks. Like, they're just looking for young players and, and picks. Boston, I have no idea where they are at this point. Like, yeah, it looks like they're going into a rebuild. I don't even know what a Pasternak trade would look like, but it would be the most expensive of all these guys here. And I think Dabrinkit is fairly close to David Pasternak. I, I think Pasternak, because of... Boston being good over the last couple of years, he gets a lot more hype than and you know being around a couple more seasons than than Dabrinkit. But I feel like they're fairly similar players, um, and just for that, the fact that it would cost a little bit less to get a guy like Alex Dabrinkit, he'd be the guy I go for. But they're not they're not too far d- different in age too. I think the Pasternak's a year and a half older. He just yeah, like 20, months, yeah. yeah, just turned twenty six in May. I thought he was older than that, and Dabrinkit yeah, turns twenty five in December. They're about a year and a half difference, which isn't nothing. Like, isn't too crazy. And then Fiala's right in the middle of them. He's twenty five. Um, by f- I don't know, I was supposed to say by far the worst player of them, but I I do think he's a bit underrated. Uh, he is a guy who can score thirty to forty goals. You put him in, in on the line with Trevor Zegers, he would be the cheapest of the bunch. Right now he's a pending RFA, so you can work that to your advantage. I think he's the most realistic option. But if I had to pick. Uh, who I'd want the most, I think it'd be a slight edge to Alex Dabrinkit just because I think he's a bit cheaper than Pasternak, and and I like the fit of him a little bit more than. Uh, Who's Chicago's goalie? Is yep. it Kevin Lankin? I think. I don't think they have one. <laughs> well, they are uh, not a real good one. So yeah, yeah. There's a I... spot where maybe Gibby fits in. I can't imagine. Oh, that's though. an interesting trade. I yeah. mean, it doesn't make sense, but I like it. <laughs> No, and I don't mean that that way. I just mean, like, trading a 24-year-old to bring in a goaltender, but you're like, they did just fucking trade for Seth Jones, and he's making a shit ton of money, so, like, they have to do something. Mm-hmm. They got to they gotta start being competitive, otherwise that, that Jones signing looks dumb on top of it. Plus, oh, we're God, just so stupid. Into the end of that Kane con, you know, where, yeah. where he's serviceable. So it's like, you know, they haven't had he's a good... going to Buffalo one day anyway. Bird, so it's going home. Uh, I just want to say, I think Pasternak is one of the three or four best wings in the league. Like, I I think he's incredible. I think he's a, he's he's not a big guy, but he's a little bit bigger. He plays a little bit more physical game. He's you know, which I think is comes from being in Boston. Like, and it's really hard to be on a team that has. Brad Marchand, who throws himself at 150 miles per hour into anything that moves, and be like, ah, actually, I don't really kind of like hitting. It's not really my thing. It's like, no, that's not how this works here. Like, you know, everybody hits. And, you know, I think he's solid defensively. I think there are some questions about how good defensively he is because he has played with Brad Marchand and Patrice Bergeron for most of his career, if not all of it. So, like, I get that there are, are, are concerns there about how, how good he actually is, what his individual uh, impact or ability is. Uh, but I, I I am with you in that I would go for Dabrinkit because, like you said, he's a little bit younger. I think he fills a, a definitive role, right? I mean, it's stupid, but it's kind of just trading for Cole Caulfield. Right, you're trading for a shorter guy who you think can just fill the back of the net, and who is on a timeline that you could put him next to what seems to be an incredible playmaker, and just be like, yeah, this makes sense. You know, we've talked about it before. It allows you to shift Terry down and drive a second line. 
gives you a bit more flexibility that way. I, oh, I Jeremy think Tavish to bring it in Seagrass. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. You can you can talk yourself into that one pretty quickly. So. <laughs> can you? Um, all right. So that's it. That, that's it for the trade talk, I guess. Unless you guys have any last so couple things. So we got to like say. five minutes left before Jay's got to go. So I just want to ask you guys this insane question, and you guys tell me how you feel. Would you trade? No. Tom Gibson. Sorry. Mason McTavish. No, sorry. And the tenth overall pick <laughs> for Carey Price and Shane Wright, and the first overall pick. No. No. Carey Price is done. Oh, I'm not. I don't think. No, it's good. just to take the cap. You're not getting Shane. You're not getting the number one overall pick without taking Carey Price. M- McTavish and, and who? Sorry again. Uh, and the tenth pick or twelve. I'm torn between those two. I think you could. I would think everybody would be like, "Oh yeah, come to all. But like at the same time, like Shane Wright. Like, yeah. I think it's got to be the tenth pick as well. Yeah, it's, it's tough. No, I don't know what Shane Wright is. I, I've got a better idea of what McTavish is versus Wright. Uh, and just look at what everyone thought you know, Lafreniere was going to be. Although he's doing well now, but it's it's taken a while. Or Kako was supposed to be. <clears throat> look at what he's doing now. So I just mm-hmm. adds totally. a little hard to give up your tenth first plus throw in a great prospect and then throw in your goalie for taking on cap yeah for, I, for I me know. like the difference between <laughs> from right now like right's gonna it's projected to be the better player uh over mason mctavish but the difference between them right now i don't think is is made up for what you could get one drafting whoever you want at 10 and then what mm. you could get for john gibson I think taking whoever you get at ten and whatever you could get for in an, a separate trade for John Gibson, I think all those together with McTavish puts you in a better spot than just having mm-hmm. Shane Wright. That that's sure. that's where the tipping point is for me. And yeah, I have more confidence in Shane Wright being a superstar in this league than Mason McTavish. But literally every time I watch Mason McTavish play, I, I get a bit more comfortable that he's going to eventually be he's a so a all star in this league. Like he's just. He's that good right now where he's quickly dispelled the worries people had of, of the obvious links between Nick Ritchie playing for the same team, being a big kid with, with you know skating deficiencies and a hard shot. Uh, he's taken that and just left it in the dust. Like He is uh, probably the most dominant player in junior hockey, and he doesn't have to score four or five points a night. Like he just—that's just not the role he plays right now. He's a second-line shutdown center for that team. That up until this last, um, they're in the finals right now, the OHL finals. They had not lost a game. Like they—they they went twelve and zero in the playoffs, and he was a big part of that. I think he's their second-leading scorer. Takes all the tough draws, all the tough assignments. Plays against the the, the opposition's top players. Uh, he's. A man amongst boys in that league, and it's, it's not even close. He doesn't have to put up the most points to be the best player down there. So, yeah, I, it's tough to move on from that right now when you look at what you could get there. Mm-hmm. I agree. No, I, I, I get that. I just, you know, I think there's something to be said for being like, we have Wright and Zegers for the next 10 years, and that's, yeah. at the end of the day, we'll deal with anything else. You know. Um, but, all right. Uh, we only got five minutes. we got to mention it. We're not going to talk about it long because there's not really much to talk about. The Ducks did sign, make a signing. Pavel Regenda, two-year entry-level contract. Uh, six foot four, 22-year-old Slovakian forward. Played well at the Olympics. 
And at the men's worlds, he had uh, a goal and four points in seven games at the Olympics, five goals and six points in eight games at the men's worlds. I like it. Like, it's not bad. It's it's the signings you probably should make. He's one of the top scorers in the, the top tier uh, of Slovakian hockey. Um, something the Ducks don't really have in a big, skilled, physical power forward right now. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, I guess, what you kind of hope Comtois would be. Add him to the mix, see what he can do. If not, play him in San Diego. Like I, I like it. I like these types of signings. I mean, not many of them ever really pan out. They're, they always generate a lot more hype than the player ends up ends up putting up uh, production mm-hmm. on the ice. But I, I, it's a gamble. He's played well recently, and uh, it looks to be a guy that you could plug in the lineup and see what he could do. Yeah, I would like him, especially to go down with injuries. I think it's a little bit easier um, to try and bring in a guy who's got that size to him. Um, and that's that always seems easier to plug in those people than the, the guys who are lighting it up offensively and you know, try and get them to quickly transition in the case of an injury or a call-up to try and recreate that. And sometimes that's a little bit more difficult, but a big guy probably wouldn't have to play that many minutes if uh, he does get the call-up. Um, or, yeah, like I said, just be, if he does do well, then he's someone that can just kind of give us depth, um, at the big club and just kind of cycle in and out. Just depends how he does. Yeah. I, I, I think it's a great idea. I think it's a, a very, very low risk, incredibly high reward. You know what I mean? Like best case scenario, he turns into a hall of fame or worst case scenario, he plays out the next two years in the minors and you never see him again and you're like oh, okay we paid him Cody you know 60,000 well okay but that's the other thing I wanted to say <laughs> that I think is actually so much better than the Cody Curran thing because Cody Curran they went and signed a 30 year old fucking defenseman yeah. for a two year deal at a million dollars and then never fucking did anything with him which like whatever like I don't necessarily care but it's you signed a 30 year old so if you weren't going to move him up immediately what was the potential upside there what were you thinking you were going to get whereas with this dude he's 22 it's like fuck it, dude. We can. I'll keep signing you to one-year deals as long as I think there's something there and you want to be here. Like, who yeah. cares? There's, there's just. It's all. For the grossest way to say it, I guess it's all profit. Like, you know, you have almost nothing to lose. It's got all the signs of a potential late bloomer. You know, a big kid kind of growing into the, the skill set over the next, the you know, next yeah, couple of years. Hundred percent. But I also think, like, it doesn't matter if he doesn't, right? Yeah. This is the kind of thing to me that means more than, you know, any comment about, well, we have a lot of picks and we have a lot of prospects and we're going to be creative when opportunities arise. That's one thing. But, like, to just be like, yeah, we're just going to go take a flyer on this kid who we just saw play at the Worlds and he was fine. Like, fuck it. Let's see what happens. He just made it the Olympic team. You know, it's Slovakia, but it's Slovakia. Like, it's not nothing. Like, you know, he was at the Olympics. Screw it. Let's see what he's got. Yeah. And I, I just like it. It's just another, you know, another lottery ticket. Fuck it. See what happens. You guys, you guys got a lot of feelings on this very minor signing. <laughs> hey, when you don't have like any news, you gotta, you gotta get excited about I just, something. It's so. to me, it's, it's more about what it represents. Like I don't fucking know this dude from Adam, right? Like I, you know, he could walk next to me on the like on the sidewalk, and I would have no idea that it was him. Like I'm not, you, you know, you don't. Yeah, he could be a Hall of Famer. We never know. But I just think the the thought process behind it is is incredibly encouraging, uh, and it's a little bit more of you know uh, putting some skin in the game, I guess, or, or, or 
or, yeah. you know, being about it instead of talking about like, oh, we're going to look for anybody we can. Oh, okay, thanks. All right. Um, we're up to the hour mark now. Um, Jay, I'll leave, leave this up to you. I know you got to head out soon. Do you want to discuss Bruce Cassidy, Barry Trotz now, or do you want to save it for this potential Sunday podcast we're doing with the four of us and get Pat involved on this discussion too? I'd really like to get Pat involved because I want to watch him get mad. <laughs> Boston, Boston or the Islanders are involved in anyways, yeah. and his, his blood pressure starts getting a little high. <laughs> starts right. sweating, gets red. All right, that works out, yeah, because, I mean, we're going to treat it. I think we were aiming for a Sunday morning, um, so it's not going to be well, – we could be, I guess, but it's not technically going to be Pucks and Bruce. But the topics are going to be kind of that. So we're, we're, we can look at the playoffs. We can look at the coaching stuff, cover some NHL stuff. Things, yeah. Yeah, no, not a lot of Pavel we'll, again we'll to talk on Bucks and Bruce. <laughs> yeah, we'll do a complete deep dive on Pavel again and why he could be uh, Slovakia's best player in their entire history. Uh, so, better than Marion Hosa. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so um, we're aiming for Sunday for that one. Um, I don't want to get you guys' hopes up, but it, it, it could happen. It would be. It could happen. Pat's uh, first show in a few months, so and the Six first years? time in a while, I since the four of us have been together. I think the last time all four of us were together, um, Stephen said some not no, so nice things about JT Brown, and uh, and that's, <laughs> that's why we haven't been together ever since. Bad things happen when the four Absolutely of us get together. I hate you it was I, I honestly do think that's the last time we were together was that um all four of us was that uh the cracking game the live stream yeah. game yeah, where yeah. We, we, we protested ever coming back on the uh the podcast Pat was this is all so mad <laughs> we got letters from the fcc we've said words yeah <laughs> that, Pat, that podcast doesn't exist anymore so if you weren't there you don't know what we're talking about. I hate everybody right now. Now it's just a myth, and you can yeah. think whatever you I want. love you, James Brown. Don't ever forget that. Uh, but, yeah, that that, uh, that does it for the show. Uh, we'll likely be back in another month because that's <laughs> – so we have to be back before that. We've got draft stuff coming up. The draft is in, I think, less than 20 days. So we we have to be back. Uh, to cover the draft in the next little bit. So hopefully Sunday we get a, a little Pucks and Brews episode that I guess now with Patreon on hold will be out for everybody. So everybody can look forward to that one. And, uh, and then we'll have some draft stuff coming up at, at the very least. So uh, stay tuned for that. Hope you guys enjoyed the show for this one. A bit shorter one than Stephen and I's two and a half, three hour podcast. So <laughs> in, You're in, welcome, everybody, yeah, by in, the way. <laughs> enjoy the, the break. Yeah, bringing bringing uh Pat and and uh, Jay back means that we don't sit here and ramble for an extra hour and a half, and we actually get shit done. So uh, <laughs> enjoy it. Thank thank Jay for that. Send them all your love and your messages, and uh, we will see you guys soon. Bye, everybody. Bye guys. <laughs>